Hey listeners, welcome to the Learn to Code With Me podcast. I'm your host, Laurence Bradford. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to remind you that you can get the show notes for this episode and every other episode at learntocodewith.me forward slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast player you listen on. And if you're feeling particularly generous, a review would be awesome too. Here's a quick word from our sponsors who help make the show possible. Firehost Project is an online coding bootcamp that fits around your busy schedule. They teach you the technical skills needed to launch a career in web development. For a free personalized career transition plan and $250 off the Firehost Project software engineering program, visit learntocodewith.me forward slash firehose. Interview Cake is an online resource that helps you prep for interviews so you can land your dream job in tech. To find out more and get 20% off, go to learntocodewith.me forward slash cake. Again, the URL is learntocodewith.me forward slash cake. In today's episode, I talk with Vidya Srinivasan, a multi-talented engineer, speaker, and singer who works at Microsoft as a program manager. We talk about maternity leave, being a mom in tech, and fitting in hobbies alongside her career. Vidya Srinivasan is an engineer, a speaker, and a singer. She works as a program manager at Microsoft, speaks at tech conferences, performs with bands to raise money for nonprofits, takes part in Hack for Good projects, and a lot more. She has a bachelor's and a master's degree in computer science, as well as a degree in Indian classical music. A few years into her career, she was profiled by Microsoft for her multidimensional career because she combines her love for engineering, singing, hacking, speaking, and advocating for diversity all in tech. So if that wasn't enough, Vidya is also a new mom. Hey, Vidya, I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure to be here, Laurence. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yes, of course. And we've connected a few times in the past. Uh, for the listeners, I'll link to both articles in the show notes, but I featured Vidya in Forbes twice. And in both articles, it related to motherhood and tech and getting back to the full-time job after maternity leave. So I'm really excited to talk about some of those things later in the show. But first... Uh, before we get going, is there anything in that intro you would like to elaborate on? Um, not really. I think you did a pretty good job of summarizing everything I do on the multidimensional aspect of my life. Yeah, and I love that. I can't wait to talk about that also. Uh, but let's go back in time a bit. What were you doing before you were working at Microsoft? I uh, was studying. So I graduated from my bachelor's in computer science and engineering back in India. Uh, through my, I would say, um, sophomore year, I was pretty convinced that I want to study further. So I came to the U.S. to pursue my master's in computer science uh, from NC State University. I loved the human, inter- um, you know, computer inter- interaction aspect of computing. So I was studying. I graduated. Um, actually, no, when I was in grad school, I got an internship with Microsoft. So I came here. I interned. They gave me a full-time offer. Uh, so I came straight back after as soon as I graduated. <laughs> Wow, that's really exciting. And you've been at Microsoft how long now? Uh, five and a half years now. Five and a half years, great. And when you started, what were you doing? I know you said you were um, an intern and you got a job like after school, but how have you kind of moved up um, in at Microsoft? Because I know you definitely have. 
Yeah, so I started as a program manager intern. So to be honest, um, when I interviewed for Microsoft, I did not really know that there was a job category called program management, right? Because, you know, and, and most students whom I speak to today are also in the same boat that they always think, oh, I'm pursuing computer science. The only job I have is a developer where I sit and code all day, right? So um, I was interested in coding, obviously, but I was also interested in the other aspects of building a product, such as the design side of things, the user experience side of things, the business side of things, right? So when I interviewed, interestingly, the interviewer told me that you make a fine developer, but I think you will make a really good program manager. So he encouraged me to actually look more into uh, what a program management uh, role is and then come an intern at Microsoft. And I did that and I absolutely fell in love with uh, the job aspects of a program manager. So I came straight back as a program manager after I graduated. And then now I'm a senior program manager at Microsoft. And for the listeners, could you describe what a program manager is? Because I know, especially for myself, when I first started off teaching myself how to code, like you said, I only thought there was one path. I thought I had to become a web developer or a software engineer, and that was it. I didn't realize how many different options there were. So mm -hmm. could you tell us a little bit about what you do as a program manager? Sure. Uh, see, the way I describe program slash product manager, like, you know, different companies use different terminology, honestly. Uh, we use program manager at Microsoft. I think uh, some of the other companies such as Google, Facebook, they use product manager. Um, so the definition is a bit ambiguous from you when you go from company to company and industry to industry, but NetNet is a program manager is responsible for uh, everything that goes from ideation, building strategy, to uh, shipping and getting customer feedback and everything in between, right? So I think of, as a program manager, I think of myself as the product owner who comes up, you know, even before the rest of the team is even thinking about what to do. As a PM, you identify the problem space, you identify the opportunities that exist in that space, you build the strategy, you build the vision, then you convince, you know, you go and partner with your design, engineering, and, you know, other teams to prototype, build it, then you are in charge of shipping it, talking to customers, getting feedback, and then improving and iterating it. So as you can see, you go from, you go through the entire product life cycle, not once, but multiple times as you do it over several services, right? So uh, an interesting definition of program manager is you are the mini CEO of your product. Yep, love that. And I, and I also really liked what you said about how uh, different companies could have different titles and it could maybe be a similar role with similar, similar responsibilities, but companies could kind of refer to it as different things. And I also think, especially with product management, it could also really vary based on the size of the company, the industry, what the products, you know, you're, you're building are. I, I have a friend, for instance, who was a product manager at a, um, a company that did like surgical equipment manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So she would go to hospitals and interact with doctors and watch them do surgery. And it was like, very, you know, they're building like physical products, right? To, to use Absolutely. in operation. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I think that is the fun thing and, and uh, the unique thing of what being a program slash product manager, because you sit in the intersection of technology, user experience, which is design and business, right? So you are able to get uh, a complete experience of, uh, you know, the, the, the breadth of the product instead of just the depth, which is kind of what we, we would experience when you go to like some, some roles as a developer, right? You go deep into it, but as a program manager, you try to like get uh, the complete breadth experience. Yeah. And so you've never 
I, I'm looking back at your LinkedIn just to double check, but you've always been a program manager. So even though you have a degree, uh, well, two in computer science, a bachelor's and a master's, you went right into program management. Correct. Yes, because I think I, I'm glad I have a degree in computer science because I feel, um, again, depending upon your industry and company, uh, to be a successful program manager, you have to have really solid technical skills. You need to understand how a product would be built in order to come up with a design that is worth building, right? So even though I don't code on a day-in, day-out basis, I understand code. I look at code. I write algorithms, right? You figure out what kind of data structure is good for a the specific service you have to think about performance you have to think about you know accessibility you have to think about everything that goes into making a successful product right so i understand code and i'm glad i have a technical background because i consider myself a technical program manager uh, and you know because i am i think more interested in the technical side of how you what goes into building a product than anything else i would be. yeah super fascinating and again i love how we're you know we're getting to show people that there's not a one one track path, I think is the same, but you know, you don't have to, you know, get, you know, get coding skills and then become a software engineer. Like there's other options out there that are still technical and it can maybe incorporate some other things that, you know, a person really enjoys. So. Absolutely. And, and I feel everybody needs to understand technology. Like it, it, it is irrespective of which path you take after that, if you have the basic fundamentals at your fingertips, that is always helpful. And that will always help you make good decisions in building usable products, right? I have a friend of mine who is a UI designer, but he understands code and he codes. So what he does is as he designs, he prototypes it. Even though it is not his code that is checked into the system, but he's able to rapidly prototype things because he knows how to code, right? So I understand technology. I can call somebody's bluff soon enough if uh, they come up and tell me that, oh, this is not possible versus this is possible because I know how you would be build- I know how you would be building that. Yeah, exactly. So that yeah, and I love how how enthusiastic you are about all that. And this is segueing perfectly, I think, into the next thing I want to talk about, which is all of your hobbies and outside projects outside of work. So I'm curious, have you always just been this industrious or or has it been something that you uh, have developed like as you've gotten older or as a high school student, middle school student, were you always very involved? I think I was always very involved. And part of this goes back to... Um my cultural background, I would say. So I'm a South Indian, right? Uh, as South Indians, uh, typically, they put you, they always put you in school plus some form of creative art. Like it's like a men bar, okay? If you're only studying, then people are like, you're only studying. You know, I know it sounds a bit stereotypical, but that is that is my background. So my mom put me in music school when I was two and a half years old. So she put me in, you know, preschool and musical at the same time because she was interested in music and she wanted me to pursue music. And that's where it started. So right from that age on, I've been, you know, singing. And as a part of that, you get exposed to a lot of other clubs, bands, which are looking for singers. You go sing with them. So right from my school age, I was, you know, participating in music shows and 
my parents are both bankers and they have annual um, conferences and, you know, get togethers. And I used to go and sing the invocation song every year. And I was so proud because my name used to come in, you know, the, the program brochure, along, you know. So I've always been exposed to doing more than just going to school. And at some point, probably during middle school, I started getting being I was I was interested in leading clubs. Right. So back in the day, I used to be a part of uh, a national service scheme, which does volunteering work, conducting blood camps and all of that. And then later on, I became a part of uh, the Lions Club, sister group of the Lions Club International, which is called the Leo Club, which is a youth group where you, you know, recruit a team, you build a committee, you kind of commit yourself to a tenure and a specific area and go and do good things. And we were doing uh, book sweeps for underprivileged kids. We used to collect books from people who had more of them and then go and give to these school kids, you know, stuff like that. And I started, um, I felt it felt good being a part of multiple things because I sure was learning a lot. Right. And uh, singing, though, has always been with me. So I continue singing right now. Um, going back to your original question, I do a bunch of things. So I am I still sing, obviously. I sing with a couple of bands in the Seattle area. Uh, we usually partner with a nonprofit organization and raise funds for them. Um, I am an active member of the Anita Borg Institute, uh, especially the Grace Hopper Conference. I've been sitting on their conference leadership for uh, this would be the fifth year. Right. So I chair tracks for them. I've in the past, I've chaired the Open Source Day uh, track, uh, Student Opportunity Lab. Last year, I chaired the Human Computer Interaction uh, track. And I just uh, heard today that they want me to come and chair the same track for next year. So I'm super excited to go back and uh, share the Human Computer Interaction track again. Uh, I also love hackathons. Uh, I think hackathon for me is just going back to my roots of uh, my love for building products. You know, I do it as a part of my day job on a more extended period. Hackathon, you do it for 24 to 48 hours, right? So I started hacking um, during my second year at Microsoft uh, when I was working with the Yammer team and they are a Silicon Valley startup and they love hackathons. And, you know, that kind of got into me and I've been doing that ever since. Now I go and keynote hackathons and, you know, mentor students to, you know, do fun stuff during hackathons and all of that. Uh, I also speak. I speak about technology. I speak about inclusive design. I speak about, you know, my my role as a program manager. I speak about careers in tech. I speak about my experience as a brown woman in tech. So I speak about a whole lot of things. Uh, speaking, uh, I stumbled upon it, I would say. Um, it started as a need for me to build my own confidence and eventually became a thing I got addicted to. <laughs> so, yeah, I um, somehow find time to do all these things uh, and still remain sane. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. I was like, how do you find how do you find the time to to do all these things outside of work? And not to mention, I mean, I did say this in the beginning, which we'll talk about in a bit, but you're also a, a mother as well. So you have a family, um, you have all these things going on at work, outside of work, related to work. Like during the week, um, what kind of I know I, I know there's no average day, but usually how often are you going like what I mean is like you wake up and then what time do you kind of make it back home at night or do you sort of like 
are, are you someone who sort of like leaves and maybe goes home during the day, goes back out and does other things? So you're kind of like taking breaks during the day. Like what does your schedule sort of look like? So my schedule was very different until a few months ago, um, which because my baby was back home with her grandparents. Uh, I think my, I'm just incredibly uh, fortunate because I had uh, both our parents come and support us until my baby turned one. Um, you know, later on, she's not going to daycare. So my schedule is very different now. But uh, I get in around like 8.30, I would say, but I leave exactly at five because I have to go pick her up from daycare. My husband does the drop-offs and I do the pickups. Uh, but uh, once we put her to sleep, uh, we do log back in if there are things that need to be taken care of for that day. Otherwise, you know, you get in earlier next morning and then do it. And also, um, this day, everybody is mobile. So if there are urgent things that need immediate attention, I think uh, there's, there's never, at least I am still learning, I'm never completely disconnected. I would say from work, like if there's immediate things that need to be taken care of, I don't mind jumping into it and, you know, taking care of it right now and then. So uh, my average day is, um, you know, pretty straightforward, I would say. I definitely value family time. So as soon as we get back home, I pick her up, go earlier, you know, uh, give her dinner, all of that. As soon as my husband comes, though, we make it a point to not uh, do anything else and focus on her and, you know, having dinner together and sharing what happened, how was everyone's day and until she goes to bed. But after that, it's, we again, you know, make time uh, for work, I would say. But the way I structure my other activities is, uh, I think the number one thing is I don't do it because um, I have to do it. I do it because I want to do it, right? I mean, there's a big difference when you uh, have to do something and you want to do something. So for me, I, I love doing these things. So I don't see them as a burden or an extra thing. Like I love singing, I love speaking, I love hacking. So, but I also, uh, I'm very meticulous in organizing my calendar. I'm very, very meticulous in making lists and making sure that um, two things don't overlap. So I have to speak. I uh, definitely make sure that I don't have anything else big, you know, super big commitments that week. Right. I don't take two speaking engagements in the same week. Sometimes, you know, edge cases, it happens. But uh, for the most part, I try to organize my calendar in a way that uh, it's uh, I'm still able to do, do justice because uh, there's one thing to do it. There's one thing to do it really good. So I believe that um, if, I have, if I'm doing something, I want to make sure that it's of the you know utmost quality so that they call me back. And that's probably the reason why uh, I keep getting calls from some of these organizations because uh, I make sure that I do my due diligence and, uh, and, and honor their time as well as my time. Yeah, I really like that being meticulous about your calendar and really thinking about how you plan and structure things. So aside from the speaking engagements, and you mentioned not doing more than one in a given week, is there anything else, like any other like little rules that you sort of have? They don't have to be like hard written rules, but something else like that when, when it comes to planning your days? I do a lot of preparation for my speaking gigs when I'm driving. Um, I optimize oh, really? like that. Yeah, because I I used to um, initially. Again, I think this is where practice makes one perfect. In the initial days, I used to script all my talks intently. I used to record them, re-record them, video sometimes to see how my body language is, how my tone is, right? Am I pausing at the right instance? You know, all of that. But with practice, you know, of doing this, like what I'm, I've been speaking for almost uh, five years now, I started speaking the year I got into Microsoft. So you kind of get better at it. You know that, oh, these topics, I can do an impromptu talk for 20 minutes right now. These topics, not really. I got to sit and practice, right? I, ha I have to collect my thoughts. So... I script them down, of course. Um, I write down this outline of, okay, this is how my talk is going to be, but I rehearse them when I'm driving because uh, that's 
that's like my me time, right? Otherwise, I just hear the podcast when I'm driving. But whenever I have a talk, I rehearse them over there. And uh, my husband's also a techie. So that is super helpful, I would say. He is um, um, he is actually my uh, my big pillar, you know, <laughs> my, my big rock, I would say, because he's extremely supportive of everything I want to do. Right. And and he's an equal parent. He's an equal partner. So I can do these things without feeling guilty that, oh, I'm taking the Saturday off and leaving my baby with my husband and coming and speaking, you know. So I think there is no sense of uh, guilt or whatsoever because uh, he's extremely supportive there. We're taking a quick break from this interview to hear a word from our sponsors who help make the Learn to Code with Me podcast a reality. Firehose Project is an online coding bootcamp that fits around your busy schedule. Through personalized one-on-one mentorship and a robust curriculum, they prepare you to launch a career as a web developer. Often, the biggest thing that prevents people from learning to code is not having the right support in place. Here's their CEO, Marco Marowak, with a tip on how to set yourself up for success when learning to code. You should absolutely get a mentor or personal trainer when learning how to code and breaking into web development. For looking at the research and we're looking at our students, people who get one-on-one training, they actually outperform all other students by up to 98%. Firehose are offering a free personalized career transition plan and $250 off their software engineering program. Head to learntocodewith.me forward slash firehose to learn more. One of my all-time favorite resources for techies is Interview Cake, a tool that helps you practice technical interview questions so you can land your first or next job in tech. When you join Interview Cake, you get over 50 hours of technical interview practice questions. The questions cover a range of different languages, including Java, Python, and Ruby. You get hints to help you through the process and walkthroughs of the answers you don't understand. Interview Cake has helped people land jobs at Google, Amazon, Apple, and other top companies. What's more, the guys at Interview Cake are so confident that they'll be able to help you that if you don't get the job you go for, they'll give you your money back. You either get a life-changing job or a complete refund. There's seriously nothing to lose. And I've managed to get 20% off the price for Learn to Code Me podcast listeners via my affiliate link. Just go to learntocodewith.me forward slash cake and the discount will be automatically applied. Again, the URL is learntocodewith.me forward slash cake. Well, that's amazing. And that's so awesome that you're in this situation. And I do like the tip about practicing while driving. I live in New York, though, and I and I never drive. And I guess I practicing on the subway would be um, with everyone around, right, would be a bit different. But for people who live in areas where they drive, which I think is like probably most listeners, um, that's definitely a really great tip. And I feel like you could also do that for other things like a meeting that you have, or maybe you're going to ask for a promotion. <laughs> you could practice what you're going to say in the car th- as well. Absolutely, right? I mean, having a good support system, making sure that your day is structured, your week is structured, your month is structured, uh, and and practicing whenever, because every every task requires practicing, like you rightly identified. If you have to give an exec presentation, you need to practice, right? If you have to sound professional, you need to practice. So finding any you know, time that is important, but you can squeeze in and practice, I think will definitely go a long way. Yeah, I love that. And 
Okay, so we, we spoke about your speaking engagements and, you know, usually outside of work, of course, you could also, as you said, do like an executive presentation, which would be, you know, at work and involve um, public speaking. Is there anything else outside of public speaking that you've really practiced or really like refined your craft at? Well, my singing, which I've been doing forever but again i think the, the beauty of music is there is no end game to it you can never say that okay by today i am the perfect singer it's not really a thing because there are more genres there's, there's more types of singing there's so much evolution to music right so i also if i have if i have a show if i have to sing somewhere i also practice that in my car <laughs> so as you can see car drives with me are a lot of fun yeah <laughs> no that's that's great um so I definitely want to talk a bit about being a mom in tech and some of the things I've been very fortunate to talk to you about in the past. However, I know not all the listeners have read the articles. So uh, just for some context, I guess, for some of the listeners, one of the – actually, it was over a year ago now. One of the first stories I wrote that featured you, or the, the, the first, uh, was defying – it was called Defying Stereotypes as a Pregnant Woman in Tech – and you spoke a lot about, I mean, your full time, you know, your, your work at Microsoft and, and you went on this challenge where you did like one empowering thing every month during your pregnancy. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So this started as um, I've heard about stereotypes and pregnancy and motherhood a lot, even before I got pregnant. Right. Because I've been exposed to Grace Hopper and other um important conferences. I've been going to them for a long time now. But I couldn't empathize it with it as much as I could when I was pregnant myself. Right. I wasn't able to associate well with, huh, why would they think like that? You know? But when I got pregnant, I noticed that, wow, there is so many perceived notions and stereotypes, right? For example, um, I've always liked speaking. So even when I was pregnant, I did not find a reason as to why I should not go and speak. I'm a techie, so I go and speak about technical things. And I went to this event and I had a lot of um, eye rolling and one person, one woman, she came up to me and she was like, it's raining so badly and you're so pregnant and why are you doing this? Shouldn't you be home instead? Right, I'm like, first of all, it's Seattle, it rains period. Second of all, I'm petite. My belly shows, period. Third of all, I'm perfectly fine. Why should I not come and speak about the things that I love? Right. So then these are like some small examples. Right. And, and I was like, this is crazy because just because a woman is pregnant, just because a woman has a kid doesn't mean she doesn't get to do the things that she loves doing. Right. So I just I just continued doing the things that I was doing before, such as singing, singing at concerts and speaking and sharing uh, tracks at conferences, you know, do, having launches at work, shipping things at work. So I was not even doing anything out of the way. I was just doing the things that I would normally do if I were not pregnant. But I just made it, I did not make any efforts to hide the fact that I was pregnant, right? And I just said, okay, for every month, I'm going to do one empowering thing. Right. And uh, I'm going to see, can I do it or can I not do it? And I'm going to see how things, you know, flare out from there. Um, that was what the article was all about. Right. Because I just feel there is just so much stereotype associated. And we got to break that because the same stereotypes extend when a woman becomes a mom and gives birth and comes back to work. Right. So that's why there are terms like mommy tax, mommy penalty. 
for whatever reason, you assume that because a woman is now a mom, um, she's she only cares about her family. Right. There are crazy statistics such as uh, you, you place a man and a woman. When a man becomes a dad, he is seen as the breadwinner. Whereas when a woman becomes a mom, she is seen as a caretaker. And a breadwinner is status is elevated in the society, but a caretaker's status is, you know, dropped. So I think people have to consciously realize that, hey, men can be breadwinners and caretakers. Women can be breadwinners and caretakers. It's all a part and parcel of you know, evolution, I would say, right? And what is even more ironical for me is something something as natural as childbirth, which women have been doing for thousands and thousands of years, comes with such a baggage of preconceived notions and stereotypes in 2017. Yeah, yeah, wow. And I... Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so you mentioned that about the breadwinner and, and men versus women being perceived differently. I remember seeing a study at some point saying how like what it was either when a man gets married or has their first child, it could have been getting married, but it was like research had found that men were more likely to get a raise like after they get married or after they have a child one of those two and then for the women it was like the exact opposite like it was like they were way less likely to be given a promotion or a raise once they were married because it was perceived that they would be like having kids soon and then maybe leaving like the the workplace soon and it was like before they even you know they could even be engaged or something and it was already like working against them exactly right and no you're spot on like i have come across studies would say for every dollar a man earns um uh woman earns i think 96 cents but a mom earns around 76 cents which is which is which is crazy right uh and there's like a lot of i've heard firsthand and these are not even things that um you know i read i've heard firsthand from uh, my friends who are also moms and as a part of i'm also a part of some uh, pretty vocal uh, online groups where we're all moms we're all in tech we all love you know, both our aspects of our life, right? And these are all first-hand experience of where a woman is passed for promotion because she's now a mom. Uh, women is not given important projects because they assume that she might probably want to go home, right? So go home earlier and, you know, cook instead. So this is like way too many perceived notions. One of my friends who's, who's in marketing, she was passed over for a couple of important conference travels because they assumed that she might not want to travel. So I think um, my rule of thumb is ask, Please ask, like, don't assume. Maybe it is true that she didn't want to travel, but ask her, you don't assume, right? Because for the most part, people do want to succeed in their, you know, a career. I do want to get promoted. Women do want to get promoted, right? Women do want to uh, become leaders. So there's just, we just have to break these stereotypes and these perceived assumptions, I would say. Yeah. And that segues very well into the second article that I wrote featuring you that talked about succeeding back in the workplace. I think you called it your fourth, uh, called the fourth trimester. So after returning to work after maternity leave. So I'd love if you could talk just a little bit about like some of the tips that you share in the article about returning to work. I know you also talked about like even before you went on maternity leave, like while you were still working, like some things you did to set yourself up for success. Uh, I'm sure there's women, um, you know, listening who either have had a child recently or are planning to have one soon or, you know, maybe just even years in the future. This is all like super, you know, helpful and relevant. And same, you know, for men, obviously, who are married to women that work in tech. So or or work just period. <laughs> You're right. Right. Yeah. So I would say um, before you transition to maternity leave. Right. I mean, 
I have always been very vocal with my, uh, you know, team here at Microsoft. And I think um, uh, they were very, uh, there was no perceived assumptions in my case, which was, which was good, right? They did not assume that, oh, just because she's pregnant now, she doesn't want to lead this important project. In fact, I went on maternity leave on July 15th and the first week of July, we did a big launch, right? Um, that may be announced a major feature that got coverage in Wall Street Journal and Verge and TechCrunch, right? So they did not assume that. And I was also pretty vocal that I, hey, you know, unless I come and tell you that I can't do it, please don't assume. So setting the expectations, I think, will definitely help. And writing down a clear transition plan before you go on maternity will, I think, show that, okay, she is gone for so many months or so many weeks. And then once she comes back, I think that will also give your team some time to noodle over, okay, what are the types of projects that you want to work on when you come back? Do you want to come back full time or do you want to come back part time? Right. So it all depends upon one's unique situation, I would say, with childcare and their recovery and their child's health. And there's just way too many factors, you know, partners, uh, parental leave policies and all of that. But communicating these things and making these very transparent, I think will definitely help. And um, and I think it's better to have these discussions and think through this as much as possible before you go on maternity than after, I would say. And um, once you do that, right, um, when you have open conversations, when you set realistic expectations, type of projects you want to take on, also talk about your career development. Like we do something called Connects in Microsoft where you talk about, okay, how has the last quarter been? What do you want to happen in the next quarter and all of that? So I was very, you know, we had an open discussion about, okay, what is my level now? When do I want to get promoted? What will take me there and all of that? That really helped me. Because I initiated these discussions, it also showed my man leadership team that, okay, she's still, she's still interested and she's in this like 100%. Right. It's not that this is going to be a part time thing for her anymore. She is in this. And um, during maternity leave. Right. I think the one big thing everyone deals with is FOMO, like fear of missing out, especially first timers. I, I dealt with that, too. I was very scared that, oh, my God, I'm going to be gone for, you know, four months. Everyone's going to forget me. But that's not true. And also uh, your pet project that you're working on, you're like all of a sudden transitioning it to somebody else. And, you know, are they going to do a good job at it? Not do a good job at it. Are they going to like, you know, check me out of the project and all of that. Right. So what helped me and the advice that I got from other moms was when you are on maternity, be with your baby 100%, forget everything else. When you come back, you will find the right place for you. You will do it. Right. So and that I think is true. Uh, because if I was overthinking about all of the FOMO and what am I missing out, then I don't think I would have been able to enjoy uh, my time with my baby as much as I did. So don't really freak out about what you're missing out, but rather plan about how would you tackle this once you come back, right? Uh, mommy track is, is a big thing. Um, mommy track basically is people assuming that, oh, because you're a mom, you're not interested in a career anymore. Because you're a mom, you're not interested in promotions anymore, travel anymore, and all of that stuff which we spoke about before. And this is sadly too common, especially in fast-paced industries like tech. So, and this will cause a lot of, you know, um, anxiety for a lot of us, right? The biggest thing, these thing, the biggest thing that we can do for ourselves is watching and being vocal. That's helped me a lot. And also there's a level of awareness that we have to spread, right? Um, that is the reason I go and speak about my life as a woman in tech, my life as a mom in tech, and uh, have discussions, have panel discussions about uh, what what does life look like after you have a baby, after you have multiple babies? What does life look like when you have a baby with um, you know, special needs? What does life look like when you're a single mom, right? The situation is so different for each of these things. And the more you spread awareness about these are the type of people who exist, and this is nothing is uncommon here, 
and there shouldn't be any stereotypes or perceived assumptions. I think the, the more people get aware, the more they will at least realize and the more they will fight the unconscious bias, right? A lot of this is training. We have training for, you know, other types of biases, but I think we also need to have some sort of training about parenthood and motherhood. Yeah, wow, you just shared so much awesome, helpful information. And honestly, as you as you were talking and you were saying FOMO and, you know, people getting anxious about or, or women that are going to be leaving on maternity leave getting anxious about what they may miss out on and the pet projects and, um, you know, if there's going to be a place for them when they return. I'm not even, you know, I'm not even planning on having children anytime soon and I'm getting anxiety. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can't even imagine like the, like the stress that would be honestly, like to be gone for even just four weeks or six weeks or two months and, you know, and then to think of, you know, the, the kind of um, situations you were bringing up, like I can definitely see how it would be a really tough time. And, um, but I really liked what you said, just like spending the full time, you know, full focus, full attention on being with your newborn and then just trusting that when you get back, there'll be a place for you. And you know what? I feel like if it's, if honestly, for some reason there's not, it's probably not an organization you want to be at anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Right. There, the, the, the underlying point over here is there needs to be a sense of transparency and trust, not just from you to the employer, but from the employer to you, right? And if there's an organization that sees mothers not as a liability, but as an asset, they will support you. They will encourage you. If they don't, you probably should not be working there, right? And it, it, it goes beyond like, so I spoke about the things that you can do from an individual perspective, but from an organization perspective, they have to come and meet you somewhere too, like paid maternity leave. It is so extremely critical. Like my heart goes out to those moms who are, you know, who have to go back to work in four weeks and in, in five weeks, sometimes in days. Like they, in my opinion, Lawrence, are some of the bravest people because I it was so hard for me to leave my baby home after four months and come to work. The first day I cried, right? Because it's a very emotional thing. It's an extremely emotional thing. This tiny human being was with you 24 bar seven. All of a sudden, somebody else has to take care of that baby, right? And in my case, it was my own mom taking care of my baby. But even then, it was so hard. So imagine if somebody has to leave their babies with an external nanny or a daycare when the baby is four, five, six weeks old, right? So paid maternity leave is a must. But not just maternity, paid parental leave. Dad need the time off for bonding too, right? And when you give parental leaves for dads, that also shows that, hey, it is not uncommon that a dad takes off when he, or a man takes off when he becomes a dad, right? That'll set the standard, right? Because if you just give maternity leave for moms then people assume that, oh, she is going to take off. It's just she, it's just she. But when he comes into the picture, then it kind of becomes normalized at some point. And other things like comprehensive insurance, hygienic mother's room to help moms pump, right? Backup care, flexible options to transition back. Like these are all incredibly important things that can make or break one's decision to come back to work. Why do a lot of people deal with, you know, make a choice between do I take care of my baby or do I, you know, compromise on my childcare situation and then go and work? A lot of them skew to take care of their baby. And that is, that is rightful on their part, right? So, an organization, any organization that sees mom as an asset will definitely provide them with all the support and all the flexibility they need to have a smooth transition. Yeah, I I mean, I'm just like blown away. Like when you're talking about some of these things that organizations don't have or these, these resources for women that are returning to work and like, oh man, it's, you know, again, I'm not even in a, you know, I just feel so much empathy as well towards women that are having to 
go back to work without taking that time off. And when you told the story about leaving your Oh, about it's making me emotional now. I'm a very, I'm I know, a very, I'm is, a very empathetic person. But no, yeah, that, exactly right. Like I think everyone needs to feel this empathy, and if everyone feels like, you know, my my favorite saying is like, it, it they say it takes a village to raise a child, right? Oftentimes we just think of our children and who are in our village, but we forget we forget that we are a part of somebody's village, right? If there's a member of my team, and even though I am, if if say for example I was not a mom. I am still, you know, I can make or break her day, right? So we just have to be empathetic. We just have to like, you know, keep aside our biases, unconscious or conscious and be more empathetic and see what can we do to help others. And if everybody does their part, half the issues we face today won't even exist. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Vidya, for coming on. Uh, we went a bit over, but I think this was just such a powerful and, and great conversation. And honestly, I think the first time I've really talked about this on the podcast. So thank you for, I mean, I've talked about kind of related issues, I think, but the first time really talking about like parental leave and going back to a tech job after taking parental leave and all this stuff. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this. And I think like, like I'm very enlightened by this and I think a lot of listeners will be too. Um, but where can people find you online? Sure. Um, I have a website. It is www.vidyashrinivasan.info. So my full name.info. I'm also pretty active on Twitter, you know, uh, LinkedIn. So my handle is uh, on Twitter is vid, V-I-D, uh, Srinivasan, my last name. So uh, and my website has hyperlinks to all these social media sites. All right. Amazing. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I so totally enjoyed talking to you, Lawrence. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. For a recap or to browse through other episodes and show notes, head on over to learntocodewith.me forward slash podcast. If you like tech-related content like this podcast, make sure to sign up for my email list. You can do so easily right on the homepage at learntocodewith.me. There's a big sign-up form right at the top. I'll send you new blog posts, tell you about time-limited course deals, and much more. It was great to have you with me today. Join me next week for another episode.